This is the Delivery Space Podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change, or transformation, we have some great insights and great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of delivery to bring you insights and experiences that you won't get from a book. It's Sharon and Nisha, and this is our episode on managing conflict within teams. Hey, Nisha. Hey, Sharon. How are you? Really good. Thank you. Yourself? I'm well, thanks. I'm excited to have Jay Abassi on our episode today. Hey, Jay, how are you? Hello, Nisha. Hello, Sharon. I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on. We first came across you when you came and did a session for us on mindfulness for Fairlearn. I believe Nicole Mapleson, who we know very well, invited you on. And I remember that being one of the highest visited lunchtime sessions for Fairlearn. So thank you for that. I think you made an impact on quite a few people. It was a great experience and it was a very engaged group. Yeah, happy to introduce myself. So my name is Jay Abassi and I have an extensive background in training and coaching. So my story, I guess, starts where I was working at Tesla and I found that a lot of people were really struggling with burning themselves out, working, overworking themselves and also just that having the impact on their ability to really be productive and grow their careers. And I've found for me methodologies that I've worked on for myself and ways in which I navigate those environments so that I can be effective in my work without it affecting me outside of work. Because of that, I really thrived within Tesla. And I uh, got to a position where I was running the national training program where about a thousand employees, I was responsible for their training and the coaching programs that they went through. And it was work that was incredibly fulfilling and I realized after I left Tesla, there was an opportunity to help a lot of people who were struggling in the ways that I saw a lot of people struggling uh, in mm-hmm. corporate and even outside of it. And so now my work is around coaching professionals to be able to get out of a place of feeling stuck or unfulfilled, not making the impact they want to make, or maybe they're burning out from their work to having a very clear career path. They're doing work that does fulfill them. They are making the impact they want to make and they aren't sacrificing their happiness or well-being to do so. They're using things like mindfulness to be able to most effectively work on themselves while still growing their careers and building careers they love. I know firsthand um, the the power of that coaching, bringing you out of a place where you want to decide. I, I certainly did when we had our coaching sessions, wanted to decide which path to take and to help me carve out the time that I needed for my, my own projects, like this podcast, for example, with Sharon. Having that third voice of sanity really, really helps um, in your life, I believe. It's good to talk about conflict, I believe, in this session, because I know conflict does cause that stress and strain, especially within teams. And it'll be wonderful for Sharon and I to get your take on it. Most of the work that we do is in teams and inevitably conflict arises from time to time, right? Um, what tips can you give to get the best out of those conflicting situations to move teams towards the best outcomes for themselves. Absolutely, Nisha. This is a topic that comes up all the time. There isn't a single person I've worked with who didn't have some sort of conflict, uh, whether it was with their manager or with the teammates or just the environment that they were in. How do you navigate those waters and how do you get to the other side of conflict? So I have three different steps that I think really outline the best way to effectively manage through conflict. And that first step is to be able to discern the blaming that we could 
potentially go down this path of blaming others for our stresses or our frustrations or the fact that things aren't where they want, we want them to be um, and move instead towards a sense of full ownership and responsibility of oneself. So uh, no one has a, this lever that they can pull that will create stress or anxiety within you. No one has that. It's an illusion that someone else can cause us to feel that way. It's how we interpret the circumstances around us that create that sense of frustration. So rather than falling into blame of others, we shift towards complete ownership that this is how I am responding to this situation and to be able to work on ourselves so that we're not holding on to that resentment of others or that stress and anxiety is not, we're not blaming other people for it. So that's my first step. And the second step is to be able to discern effectively the difference between I judge the person and I judge the behavior. Mm. This is, I think, one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned, not just in work. Of course, I use it professionally quite a bit with our clients, but even outside of work. If I could look at someone and say, okay, I realize that I don't know everything about them. So how can I place a judgment on who they are? And instead to say, okay, it's this behavior I disagree with. It's the behavior that I'm going to challenge, not the person. What that does is it completely relieves me of any resentment that I have towards the person. Because resentment is like swallowing a poison pill and hoping hoping the other person is going to get hurt by it. Mm. It does no benefit. There's no value in it. So can I instead just look at behavior on its own and be able to challenge that and not get caught up in that judgment of the other person? And then the third step is to be able to focus much more on what's right rather than who's right, to be able to look at things objectively rather than subjectively. So if I take myself out of the equation, what I want, my own attachments, and I instead think about what's best for the group, what are my options here? How can I approach this in a way that will lead to the best result for all? And with that, of course, there are many other tips or strategies I could provide. But I'd say that those three steps is what I encourage everyone to go through to be able to manage conflict most effectively in the workplace. You know, in the moment, Jay, it's so easy to say, oh, so-and-so doesn't understand me, or I wish they didn't respond like this because now it's going to make it difficult. I don't understand why they're so difficult. How do you create that awareness within yourself to say, okay, actually, I need to not react as if it's a personal attack on myself. I need to try and open myself up to what somebody else is feeling or their, their take on a particular situation or be brave enough as well your, to your last point to say, actually, you know what? You're a great architect, software developer, fellow project manager, fellow scrum master that I'm working with, you're great. But it, when you behave in this way, I don't like it so much or it impacts me in this way. And to be able to say that, you need courage and you need awareness, right? Absolutely. The first thing you want to do is recognize how your natural reaction is playing out. That's where I think the practices of mindfulness are so beneficial because you can go within and be able to recognize, okay, here's what's actually coming up. Here are the feelings. Okay. I can accept that they're there. I can breathe into them. I can be present and not be acting on exactly how I'm feeling. I can create that space between stimulus and response. Because if you don't have that, the rest of what I'm going to say won't matter because you're going to be caught up in fight or flight. Your amygdala is going to have fired off and that threat, perceived threat, has already led to emotional reaction. 
But if you can take that first step of pause, then what I encourage my clients to do is to be able to look at that other person and recognize, okay, why are they behaving in this way? What's really behind that? And to do so with curiosity mm-hmm. and with compassion, not to do so fueled by what's wrong with them? Like, what, 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 how do I fix them? Not, that's not what's fueling this. It's more of a curiosity. And what you're going to find, the answer is every single time, that the person has a certain set of genetic makeup that they did not create for themselves. The person grew up in the way they grew up in their environment with their conditioning that they had no control over. No one chooses their parents and how they're being raised before. And the person has had some traumatic experiences that have led to them reacting in certain ways and making some associations that, again, was not their making. They didn't design every aspect of how their life played out. So if I can do that, I can look at that person and say, well, it's not their fault that they're behaving this way. It's really not their fault. They didn't do this to themselves. They are responsible. Of course, I'm not trying to say that they should. we should remove the responsibility that they have of their behavior. But if I can look at them and say, it's really not your fault, I can then look at them as if I'm looking at the three-year-old version of them, the mm-hmm. child in them. And that creates such compassion for the other person and mm-hmm. realize that they don't mean to hurt anybody. They have positive intent. They want the same thing that I want. They want to be happy. They want to solve problems. They want to succeed just like me. And if I can do that and have that connection going, then I can only look at the behavior and then be able to provide feedback on the behavior itself rather than become or use language that is judging the individual. Nisha, we've kind of spoken about that in the past, haven't we, about removing the emotion, the emotional side of things and just kind of assessing the facts. Like you said, um, lead with compassion, curiosity, rather than kind of fueling a fire, placing blame, which never really leads to resolving any type of conflict, if we're honest, does it? So I I do like that you mentioned that lead with curiosity uh, there, Jay, and just pause, you know, stop and think before you just go rushing in. So Jay, how about um, now if we've got a situation where the conflict isn't immediately visible? So sometimes Nisha and I are in situations where there's definitely that elephant in the room and you don't quite know how to address it. Where do we start in those situations to shed light on that elephant in the room in a constructive and positive manner? Anisha used the word courage before, and I think that this is an opportunity to really show courage, display courage, to address the elephant in the room head on. And I also think it's a sign of effective leadership. And a reminder, leadership does not only occur when someone has direct reports underneath them. Leadership can be done by anybody. It doesn't matter what position you're in. You are a leader if you have influence over others. So that means all of us are leaders in some capacity. How to handle this is, I'd say, an opportunity for somebody to step up as a leader. And and I would encourage not to address it in, in an open group, let's say, especially if, let's say, there's one person who's holding on to some tension and you see it, to not bring it up, let's say, in the group to shine light on that and make them feel uncomfortable or in some way ashamed. It is instead an opportunity to approach them one-on-one and to really look at them with genuine interest in how they're doing. Not because you want to get something, not because you're hoping that 
if I get them to like me, then I'll be able to get my solutions out there the way I want. But instead to look at them and be really curious as to what's, what's going on with them, why they might be there. There's that sense of tension there. It reminds me of one of my a story. Actually, I had um, a client who works for this very well-known big tech company. I won't say the name, but he was telling me how there was this conflict. No one was talking about within his group and his manager was holding on to a great deal of tension. And he was like, I don't want to deal with it. I just want to get the job done. I just want, I want the outcomes. And I challenged him and I said, well, what if, even though she's your manager, what if you just asked her how she was doing? What if you became really curious as to how she's feeling? Mm -hmm. What if you tried that? Let's see what happens. And he took it to heart. And the next one-on-one, -on -one, she came into the one-on-one -on -one and she seemed angry or frustrated about something. Usually he would brush it off and just start talking about the things he wanted. But he paused and he asked her, how are you? Are you doing okay? And she started to open up about the frustration she's had within the organization, even things outside of work. It wasn't overly personal, he said, but still she was sharing some things, some issues with her husband and all that. And because of that, it was like all this tension was released and their relationship has thrived since. And so many of these conflicts have been resolved now simply because he became interested in her as a human being. That's so important, isn't it? And valuable. Yes, we're all there to get a job done, you know, in the, in the work setting. But by stopping and taking five minutes to ask somebody, how are you? How are you feeling? How's things? Then people know that you really genuinely care about them. And doesn't it just cement the relationship, which, as you mentioned earlier, is kind of like, uh, you know, what can you do without forming relationships in this context? Mm. So that's definitely something that I try and implement. And Anisha, you do the same when it comes to just asking people how they're feeling. I'll just add one more thing to that, Sharon, because in that story, he wasn't the manager going to his direct report. He went mm -hmm. to his manager. So don't feel as though this is only something that managers do. Anyone listening, it doesn't matter what position you're in. You can ask anyone this question as a way to relieve tension and work through conflict. And it really takes courage to do so. I just wanted to jump in and add that, that it doesn't matter what position you're in. Great reminder for us all, isn't it? And the other way around, guys. Like, so I've worked with some fantastic leaders and managers, right? And they will pick up the phone, even if it's last thing in the evening and it's something that they know that they have to do and we've not managed to catch up. They'll pick up the phone and say to me, Nisha, in order to lead this program, project, piece of work, what are you worried about? What is it that's on your mind and what can I help with? That helps cut through for someone that's leading work or leading a team of people to have your higher ups just ask you that question. It allows you to feel safe that you can go to them with some of your concerns and, and talk through ways in which you can come, come out with solutions as well to help the team. Like I've seen great examples of it both ways from managers to those that are working, you know, uh, with them to deliver good outcomes, but also from others who are not managers or don't have the title managers, but also speak to their managers in a way that they're actually, they want to know how they are as people, not just, you know, a preconceived idea of people that they can't approach or people mm -hmm. that are infallible. All said. Language plays a key role in conflict resolution. And you touched on this earlier, Jay, you talked about having that empathy and that approach. 
and seeing the people that you're having a conflict with in a certain light so that you're able to distinguish between them as people and their behavior in being able to do that. And once you've started doing that, that impacts the language you start using with them. Can you give us some pointers around that and some key bits of language that we can use? There are a few things that come to mind in overall communication. First, I think I feel uh, I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't address, which is how important, before we get to the actual words, but our body yeah. language and our tone of voices and how we're giving feedback and how it's being received. Because the Albert Moravian study on communication, I think, is a very powerful one, which suggested that likability and trust is majority of that is being received through our body language and tonality. It makes up 93% of our communication, whereas 7% of it's only the words that we say. And this is in the umbrella of likability and trust. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we need to be sure that we're communicating with compassionate body language and warm body language and as well as confident body language. So we make eye contact as much as possible when in person or we're looking here at the screen versus our checking our phones if it's virtual, as well as having that tone of voice that's more compassionate and, and soft, especially when giving feedback. You don't want that tone to be too rigid or too firm in, in how it's being communicated. So I want to be sure to address that. Of course, we can have an whole episode on body language and tone of voice, <laughs> but uh, I'll just mention that. And then the second thing in actual language that's being used, I do think there are some specific things that come to mind. One is a, a format that I give to my clients that I think is very helpful whenever giving feedback, whenever wanting to address something, and that is uh, the EIC model, EIC. And so whenever we are giving feedback, this helps to ensure that we're not giving feedback that would be received as an attack on the person, but instead focusing specifically on the behavior. So what does EIC stand for? Example, impact, change, or continue. So example, what is the specific thing that they did? What is it that they, the thing that they actually said? The example, specific example, rather than a generality or judgment on the person, it's the example itself. I stands for impact. And what is the impact that that had on the group? on the company, on the organization, on the project, whatever it is, what's the impact it has? And then what is the ask? If it's something that we want to change, of course, there's something uh, constructive to give the specific ask. And if it's something to continue, because it could be positive feedback too. Uh, so uh, something to continue, you can, you can mention there. So example, impact, change or continue. I find that this formula is very helpful to adopt whenever providing anyone feedback. And then some other little things that have come to mind as we were talking about it in terms of a language, specific language. The word but is one that can create a lot of conflict unintentionally. So we use that word in ways that sometimes take away from the things that we say. So for example, if I say to you, you you've done such a great job with this project, but there's this one thing I see you, that you need to do. Everything that I said before the word but was just erased from your memory. You no longer actually think it meant anything because it sounds like I was just saying that as a way to be nice. And I really wanted to give you this feedback. So instead, just replace it with and. So you did a great job with this pro project. And I think this one thing will, will only make it better. Just that one change in word will be received completely differently. And you have to be mindful of the kind of language you're using. Another one that comes to mind in terms of actual language is how we use the words we and us versus you. I think we and us is a great way to bring people together when we're discussing vision. 
Okay, mm-hmm. we're, we're on this vision together. We're doing this work. We're achieving these goals. But when used when giving feedback, it's actually quite ineffective because it removes the ownership of what it is that I'm asking of you to do. So if I say to you, Nisha, you know, we had a, we had a meeting at 9 a.m. and, uh, we got started at 9.10 because we were a bit late when, when we arrived. And uh, when we have that lateness, then it means we're not able to really get our initiatives taken care of in the meeting. So my ask is, uh, can we come to the meeting at 9 a.m. next time? That sounds really nice, but it's not me putting ownership on you to ensure mm-hmm. that this doesn't happen again. Instead, mm-hmm. I would say, uh, Nisha, we had the meeting start at 9 a.m. and you arrived at 9.10. Because of that, the team was unable to get to the initiatives that were required for the meeting. So my ask is of you to please arrive at the meeting at 9 a.m. at the appropriate time so that way as a team we can get our initiatives taken care of. Can you do that for me? That language was much more directive. It was still kind, but I put the ownership on the other person there. So be intentional with your words Mm. is, I guess, the, the, the theme there. When I first started off my career, I do not mind admitting this on this recording. It took me ages to get there. It took me ages to get to a space, guys, where I was comfortable in giving that direct uh, bit of feedback uh, to others. And I learned, but I learned over time, realizing that it was ineffective, that it wasn't landing in the way that I wanted to. It's a, it was a learning curve for me, but yeah, it's something that's possible. You got to get over the shyness and the tentativeness that I remember still years ago that I had. And hearing you say that, like brought those memories back of, oh, I can't say that to these people. It was my meeting, but I know, but I can't say that. But actually you can. Absolutely. It's also respected, by the way, when when you do, as long as, you know, most people are good. I mean, I think there's good in every human being. Uh, People think like, okay, if I just have this one meeting where I give the feedback, every aspect of the relationship before that is somehow erased. That's not true. If you already have a good relationship with someone and they like you and they trust you, the one time you give them the feedback isn't going to remove all of that trust and relationship you've built. Mm-hmm. Even if you're feeling you're being quote unquote confrontational, I, I promise you, if you go about it the way we're talking about here, using let's say the EIC method and seeing that person through the eyes of compassion, it's going to be very well received. They're going Mm -hmm. to appreciate it and they're going to respect you for calling out something that most people wouldn't call out. That's so true, isn't it? That actually thinking back to the times when people giving me feedback constructively in the way that you've described, Jay, you actually appreciate it because it's it's part of your growth. And like Mm -hmm. you said, if they're calling out things that maybe others are too timid to do, you actually do have that level of respect, don't you, in that person? And, you know, you're happy to have the feedback because we do want to develop and improve. Can I tell a quick story here? Sure. Because I think it illustrates what you just said there beautifully, Sharon. When I was early on in my uh, career and I first became a manager, it was at a time where I was beaming positivity. So I was always very positive with all of my team. And anytime something bad went wrong, I I would tell them the, the, the good in it and tell them to see the good in it. And I'll never forget my top rep, who I respected a great deal, I could sense he wanted to tell me something and he was a little hesitant, but I said to him like, okay, what's on your mind? Like, there's something that seems to be on your mind. And he said, you know, Jay, a lot of times we go through difficult things and I feel like it it doesn't get acknowledged uh, as well as uh, I would, I would like to, 
to hear. Yes, we want to be positive, but sometimes it's hard. And I, I want to feel as though my manager understands that it's hard. And I think that's something that I, I would he encouraged me to work on. And it was like the best feedback anybody's ever given me. I'm still very close with this person, by the way. We're good friends. It's almost like I respected him so much more. And I saw him in a new light because he called something out. And it was so helpful for me. Going forward, I always have acknowledged people's challenges and, and, and seen it through their eyes rather than just shifting over to here's the good in this and everything's sunshine and rainbows. It is going to be very much appreciated and well-received when done well. This whole um, dealing with conflict, is it's still not easy, right? I know I, I can't say that I find it easy. Um, you know, it's still very challenging. To those of us who still find it a bit uncomfortable, you know, when we have to manage and deal with conflict in teams, what pearls have you got? What words of wisdom and advice from all of your experience can you pass on to us to help us? <laughs> First, I would say if you intend to give feedback to somebody, work through a conflict and it's very uncomfortable for you to, before you actually do it, give yourself a few minutes to breathe mindfully, get yourself into a, a very calm and peaceful state. Um, even do some superhero poses. Maybe you've heard about these kind of things to build up your own confidence and get your body feeling very strong and energized prior to giving that feedback and, and even uh, visualize going through it. See yourself going through the process, visualize, play the movie in your head of how you're going to be giving this feedback and how it's going to be received really well. Prime your mind prior to the actual activity itself. And if you're really hesitant to do this, one of my favorite tools, it's so simple, but it's incredibly effective, is to ask for permission before you do it to just simply ask the question, is it okay if I give you feedback on XYZ? And the person's going to say yes, because I've never heard anyone say, no, you can't give me feedback on something. <laughs> but at least what that has done for you, it has made you feel a little bit more comfortable that the person has opened their door to the feedback and the other person receiving it is now much more prepared for what you're about to say. So it, it's a helpful stepping stone uh, which I still use, by the way, when I feel, even with my clients, that I'm, I'm in a touchy subject here. I'll ask them, is it okay if I, I give you something to think about here? Is it okay if I make a suggestion about this thing? And it that way it slows things down a bit and we're able to get into it without there being any of the walls coming up as high. I really like that um, tip that you gave about asking the person because like you said, that, that also allows them to prepare a little bit as well, doesn't it? Rather than them kind of feeling like, oh, I wasn't ready to receive this feedback. <laughs> so I think that's a really good piece of advice there. Yeah, to brace them, right, for what's about to come. Uh, absolutely. That has been uh, wonderful. You've given Nisha and I and our listeners so many useful and practical tips. So there's many things that you've mentioned throughout this that I know that we'll be able to incorporate immediately. At this point, we like to ask our guests what your key takeaways are from the discussion. Is there anything that you'd like to pick out to leave our listeners with? Yeah. If you are someone who really wants to be more effective at managing conflict, you really want to make a more positive impact, you want to be able to grow, 
that first step of, okay, fine, I will take full ownership of this. I will not be blaming other people for my lack of success or accomplishment. I'm not going to blame all the things that are outside of my control. I will take full ownership of how I react. I will take full ownership of the outcomes. I will take full ownership of the relationships that I'm establishing. And if you can do that over and over and over again, you have to keep doing it over and over and over again, then managing conflict is something that you're going to excel at. Thank you so much, Jay, for spending that time with us. I think you reiterated to both Sharon and I, we've been giving each other knowing looks uh, throughout your advice. And you've reiterated that, you know what, we can earn space for ourselves. You don't actually have to react to that conflict straight away. You do not have to dive in, get in there and sort it all out. You can earn yourself time to give yourself space and to actually think about what you're going to say. And how you're going to present yourself as well, whether you're giving feedback, or whether you're addressing that conflict directly. Super useful advice. Jay, if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, uh, work with you, connect with you, what platform should they use? LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. I, I've, uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So I'd say there, um, or my website, which is jabasi.me would be another way to find out more about the work we do and to get in contact. Thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode. Make sure you like and follow us on our socials so you don't miss out on our updates and episodes to come. Bye for now. Bye.